He played Karakan. His rating was higher. But from move seventeen, the king's side was mine. Took my chances fast. My rook was a knife, and my almighty queen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ladies' Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Chahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com, and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca! His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast for your shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. He has more experience, but I won't lose again. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies' Night. Today, I have the amazing Annie Wang with us. She is an international master. She's only 18 years old. She's a gold medalist from the World Youth Championships, and she's also the reigning champion of the Pan American Junior Championship. That is a tournament for boys and girls. You may remember following Annie Wang's amazing performance. Um, I keep using the word amazing. I, it's the alliteration, and it's also the fact that she's had a lot of great results. Annie nearly captured the 2018 U.S. Women's Championship title back in 2018, going all the way to a thrilling heads-up playoff against Nazi Fikidzi and really capturing a, a lot of our imaginations and hearts. She's also a very good student. She plays piano. Um, she's into track and cross-country. Incredibly diverse amount of interest. Annie, thank you so much for joining me. Anna, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you are um, actually, you were a senior. We're, we're recording this in the summer of 2020, a crazy summer, of course. Um, so you're actually an incoming college student. Isn't that right? Yeah, I'm very excited to go to college. Um, but obviously the pandemic has been a bit disruptive in the overall scheme of things. So we're dealing with that so far. That's right. You um, were accepted into MIT or you decided to go to MIT of all the different schools that you, you got into. And yeah, I saw an interview with you um, in 2018 at that U.S. championship before mentioned with um, FM Mike Klein. And at that time, you didn't know where you wanted to go to school, but you said that you wanted to go to a good one. So you certainly fulfilled that. Can you tell us about the process? Yeah. So basically, I started my college apps, as most people do in the summer before senior year, where I was basically just researching schools and then basically narrowing, uh, narrowing down my college list to the ones I wanted to apply to. Uh, I've been looking at schools for a while before that, not like any in particular, but more like whenever we ended up somewhere for a chess tournament, we just go and see all the colleges around. Um, I remember in the 2018, the U.S. Juniors Championships, after the tournament, I went to see Wash U. And then one, uh, one time in like 2015 or something, we ended up in New Hampshire for a girls tournament. And then we just went and saw like MIT and Harvard and all those Boston schools. Um, so yeah, I've been looking at, into schools for a while, but then it was really in the summer before senior year where I actually started to cut down the schools because I, I had like a starting list of like 25 schools or something, but then obviously 25 
schools is a bit many and then you have to write a bunch of essays for them. So I cut it down to around like 15 schools, I think. But then since I'm a California resident, I had a bunch of UCs, like four or five UCs there. So really just like 10 private schools and the five UCs. And then, yeah, and then throughout my se- the first semester senior year, I worked on my college apps for my essays and then submitted them and then just hoped for the best after that. And then I was very happy when I got into MIT. Was that your first pick? It was not, actually. I got deferred early action. But then I was, because I, I didn't expect that I would get into MIT in the first place because I thought with like my extracurriculars, I'd be more suitable or like more easily admitted to one of the IVs because I don't have the really strong like math background that a bunch of MIT applicants like stereotypically do. So then when I got in, I was really surprised that then I was also really happy. Well, that makes sense though, because I think they probably need, you know, people like of all, of all different strengths and different points on that, like math continuum. You know, I've been to MIT before for like talks and they actually have like a really amazing art museum there called the MIT List Center. Um, one of the board members of the World Chess Hall of Fame is actually the director of it. So I feel like they've really got a lot going on in like the arts and humanities area as well. Yeah, they do. I remember when we went to see um, the school, when we went to tour the school, the tour guide had like a huge emphasis on how MIT had more beyond just like the math and like the engineering component that we usually think it does, how their like economics program is like pretty strong too. And so is their like literature program and they're not just like science only, there's majors outside of all the STEM stuff that you can do there. Did you write about um, chess in your college applications in general? And what about specifically for MIT? I did. Um, I think for my MIT application, it was kind of different because since they don't go on the Common App, so they don't have like the long personal statement that most colleges go off of. Uh, They have like instead a few short essays. I only wrote one of them on chess, I think. And then the other ones were mostly unrelated to chess, like surprisingly. Um, like I think I wrote one on the community service or something and then and then one on what I wanted to do in college. But then I remember my chess one, it was on like uh, describe a community that really affected you as you were growing up or something. And I was talking about how uh, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time at chess tournaments instead of like all these like dance classes or like softball games that you see a lot of kids go through when they're young. So I was talking about how instead of um, being shaped by those activities with like soccer or like softball or dance, I was really shaped by playing chess with all these people and how I met all these cool people growing up and how I got to go to all these places to play in tournaments and how it was just really a big part of my life so far. Was there one specific story or anecdote that you pulled out for that essay about the chess community? There really wasn't because I was, I think I was more concentrated on like describing it as a whole. So I kind of summarized my experience instead of like concentrating it around one particular experience. But yeah, I don't really think there was. I think I just wrote about how I felt at tournaments and stuff. There wasn't really anything too specific to that one. And what were the things that you um, kind of theorized about the chess community? Oh, I was talking about how there are so many like different kinds of people that you could meet there. Because, you know, like when you go to tournaments, you see people from backgrounds like all over the world and people that do all different kinds of things. And there's so many just interesting people that you can meet at tournaments. So I was talking about how I really like that. And then how like sometimes if you go to like analyze your games after the round, then you discover like your opponent does something really amazing. And then you never even knew that you were just playing a chess game with him before. But then like in retrospect, he's like, someone that does all these amazing things and you could you could never just like see that at first sight. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned that you also wrote about these other things in your college essays, but that in addition to MIT, you applied to some of the Ivy Leagues and that there you had 
more chess specific essays as well? Yeah, that one in my in my personal statement, I did write about one specific experience. I was actually writing about uh, the 2018 the Women's Championships where I got so close to getting first that then lost the playoffs. So I was kind of bummed about that. But then I was more talking about because before like 2018 and the later half of like 2017, I'd been kind of a plateau in my chess level for a long time because I made master when I was like 11. But then by the time I was 15, I was like 2300 only. So over those four years, I hadn't really gone up that much in terms of uh, chess strength. But then with like the 2017, the World Youth Championships and then the Women's Championships in 2018, I suddenly got over that plateau and then my rating just went up a huge amount. So then I was talking about how I'd been like struggling with trying to improve before that. But then those tournaments really pushed me over the plateau and like allowed me to improve, like improve and see what I was doing wrong before. Not exactly like wrong, but it allowed me to have a new perspective. It sounds like you just had a lot of different life lessons and emotions in that because on one hand, you're talking about, you know, I'm overcoming the plateau and reaching a new level, but then you also shared with um, readers or in this case, the application board, although you are welcome to submit a version of it to Chess Life Online so that more of us can see what you what you experienced. Um, but that said, you also talk about the of course, triumph and then also disappointment in 2018. Yeah. How did you describe that to like the lay person? Because obviously in chess, we understand a playoff. It's not that likely. And when it happens, God, the stakes are so high. In my essay, I was kind of talking about how I, when I went in, I wasn't exactly like one of the top C's. I think I was like seventh or something like eighth, uh, just like by rating rank. But then like throughout the tournament, I was doing so well. And I was not expecting myself to do so well. So I was so surprised. I was like, wow this is going great. I did not expect this at all. But then um, in the last round when I was playing against Sabina, I was actually a lot better in the middle game, but then I did not play that middle game well and I lost about, I lost that game. So then that ended up with me at the playoffs. And I, was ta- uh, ta- I was talking about how I was just, I don't know, like I really wanted to win the playoffs. And then when I won the first round, I felt really happy about that. But then after that, I was trying to win but then the second round because I remember the second and the third round of the playoffs both both uh happened from the same opening so then after the second round when I lost the second round I was like oh this isn't going great but then we got to the Armageddon and then it was the same opening again and I just I was playing it I was like wow I don't I don't like this feeling so far this opening is not going great for me and then like in the end like of course I, I lost that round too so then I ended up losing the playoff like after that I was really upset because I've been in, I've been in first for like almost the entire tournament, and then at the end I still lost the playoffs and I didn't get first. And then I was also even more upset than that because that was also the year with the Olympiad. So then if I'd won first, I would have qualified into the Olympiad team. But then since I didn't win, I missed out. I was like sixth or something. So I was really bummed about that. I mean, in retrospect, I guess it was a good experience because at that time I really didn't know why I was playing so well. So like I didn't know what was good about my games exactly because I remember in that tournament there was a lot there were a lot of games where I was really lucky in um where like my opponent was a lot better than me but I just somehow swindled them into a win or something so it kind of allowed me to see the parts that I was doing well at which is like defending myself in worse positions but then also the parts that I wasn't doing as well in which was starting out strong and like getting a good position in the first place so just like in terms of overall life experience, chess experience, it was still a really good lesson for me to not have won that playoff. Because since you got second, you've 
continue to improve your game. You become an international master. You even have one grandmaster norm. So are you saying that like because of that, you looked at your gains more closely, whereas if you won, you might have just been so excited to win, you wouldn't have analyzed as much? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I won, I would have been so excited that like just, I don't know, for the next half year, I would have been like, wow, I won, I won. And then I think I wouldn't have that kind of, I wouldn't have had that kind of motivation to try and keep improving as much. Because like when you almost win, but you don't quite and it feels kind of bad. So then to use that as motivation to keep on studying, keep on learning, and then basically just improve my own level. That's fantastic. And so you you kind of um, indicated that in these essays as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Amazing. So you applied to all these schools, wrote chess in some of the essays, um, and then also talked about your other activities outside chess, and you ended up picking MIT. That was a surprise to you, but when you got in, was it a hard choice? Was there any other school that you were kind of like, oh, maybe I'll go there instead? I mean, when I got in, when I, because MIT uh, sends out its decisions first out of all the other schools I applied to. So when I got in, I was kind of like already thinking like, I don't, I don't care where else I get and I'm going to go to MIT probably. So then it was, it wasn't really like a hard choice for me. Aside from costs, because the only other school I was really considering was maybe like Berkeley or UCLA because I'm in state for UC tuition. So like, obviously the price is a lot lower than private tuition at MIT. Um, But then aside from that, like in terms of academics and social life, MIT was really one of my first choices. And what do you plan to do there? Because you mentioned you talked about that as well. Do you, you already have an idea of what you want to study? I'm thinking of studying applied math, but then obviously I haven't done really like much with the kind of like academic side of that. I've really just been taking my normal math classes so far. So I'm open to exploration still. I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I do have to ask it. What are your intentions for keeping up with chess in college and beyond? I mean, I'm still kind of figuring everything out, you know, because obviously in college, it's going to be a lot harder to take like the two weeks off to play in tournaments uh, every semester. So, I mean, like, I hope that I will be able to keep on playing like the same way I have now, but then it kind of depends on how everything works out with my schedules and like my schoolwork and stuff like that. But I definitely intend intend to keep on playing chess. Like I'm not going to quit it. Do you have like a goal in chess, um, anything like specific that you'd like to achieve that you haven't achieved already? I'd like to reach 2,500 USCF. That's kind of my short-term goal. It might turn into a long-term goal because we're not having any tournaments right now, but that's really the the first thing I want to achieve right now. But then in long-term, it'd be nice if I could become a GM too. But then that's obviously going to take a lot of work and I still have a long ways to go to that. Yeah, maybe like you need to like take your summers and devote yourself to it or take a gap year even something like that right yeah exactly and i see you're pretty pretty active on chess.com um you play in a lot of these tournaments i saw you playing in like the unruly queens event the other day oh yeah (laughs) you got nine out of nine oh yeah i was really happy about that a lot of the top female players in the world and in the country are very very active on social media twitch twitter instagram Okay, maybe not Twitter so much. That's uh, uh, some people, some streamers have told me that that's more of a boomer thing. So (laughs) I I got love for Twitter though. But anyway, Twitch, Instagram, um, all these different social media platforms. From my perspective, you kind of are not involved in that. Is is that accurate? And is there a reason for it? Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, I don't really keep an Instagram or 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 Twitch. Yeah, so in comparison, I'm obviously like much less active in that sense. But yeah, I support I support them for doing that. 
There are a lot of other great examples of people who've kind of stayed a little bit more private. I think, you know, Grandmaster Irina Crash is a pretty good example. Like she's she's occasionally streamed or, you know, she obviously posted on Facebook um, to update her many, many supporters on her battle with COVID-19. But in general, she keeps a relatively low profile online as well. So um, was that a conscious decision so you didn't waste um, time or get addicted or did it just kind of like happen that way? No, it wasn't like a conscious decision. It's just even in my personal life outside of chess, I've never really been that open with like social media and stuff. So it just kind of translated into my chess life the same way. It's nothing against it. Like, I think it's a great way to connect with people around the world, but it's just never really been for me personally. For other people who struggle with the, you know, mental health and addiction of social media, how can you, can you give advice on how if they want to, not be involved or not be as involved? How can they retain, like, um, you know, be social and popular without it? I mean, I don't know if I'm the best person to give advice on this, really. But I don't know. I'm just more of a private person. So I've never really felt the need to maintain like an Instagram presence or something like that. I connect better to people when I'm in person with them. So I feel like for me, social media wasn't really something that was you know, like extremely relevant to my social life at school or like with the chess world or something. I just connect better to people when I'm in person. And then social media wasn't really, it's not really in person. So I never had as strong of like a commitment to maintaining a social media presence. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. This in, you just prefer these in-person dynamics. Um, that must make this period extremely difficult for you. Yeah. It's been kind of, it's been kind of funny. I'm in California, so we're obviously not doing too well with the pandemic right now. So I haven't gone outside for a long time. It's not been the best. Like I would have preferred a normal, a normal senior year, normal graduation, normal summer and everything. But then I think with the circumstances, we're just all doing the best we can. So it's, it is what it is and it's going pretty well so far. Are you finding time, because it sounds like you're somebody who relentlessly looks for the positives and things based on your description of the 2018 U.S. Championship. Um, is there something you're having more time to do that you maybe didn't have time to do before? Oh, I'm preparing for the upcoming academic year by trying to test out of some general ed requirements there. So yeah, I've been doing some schoolwork so far. And then just like, aside from that, I've been doing my chess stuff. Uh, there's aren't really any tournaments right now. So it's mostly been a lot of like blitz or rapid tournaments online. Um, but then also like reading some books, just enjoying life. Reading books about chess or, or regular books? Both. I'm almost done with one of my chess books so far. So I've been pretty happy about that. Yeah. Reading chess books takes a long time. And I think that is something I've heard a lot of people say, like, finally, I have a chance to read this magical book or that one. So what book are you almost finished with? This is going to be kind of embarrassing, but I don't actually know the title to it. It's just a book of like problem, problem solving ability development things. I haven't looked at the title in a long time, so I, I don't actually know the title of it. But yeah, it's like a book of essentially like calculation training and tactics and stuff like that. Do you know the author? I don't even know the author. I can describe the cover. It has like a red and white checkerboard pattern and it has some black too, I think. Is it by maybe like, I feel like this is ringing a bell though, like a Tisdall maybe? No? I don't know. Could it be by, by, by Tisdall? All right. Well, maybe you can yeah, email me later and I'll include it as, well, this is actually a very sophisticated quiz, guys. So <laughs> you can tell us from this. 
And then what about like regular books? You read a lot of regular books as well. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Just there's like, there's been a lot of new books coming out this summer. So I've been reading them. Can you give me an example? Because so during like right before the 2018 women's championship, I started reading this trilogy, like the, like the Dave Abad trilogy. So then the first book I read right before that championship, but then the other ones weren't out yet. So then the third one, the last one finally came out this summer. So I read it. What, what trilogy is that again? The Devabad trilogy. D-A-E-V-A-B-A-D. Oh, okay. All right. Great. So you're into, is it like an adventure fantasy thing? Yeah, it is. Nice. That sounds like a good activity for the pandemic. But what about like the physical aspect? Because I know that you are also a runner, um, track, cross country. Are, are you able to do that these days or not as much? I mean, my parents aren't really comfortable with me going out right now. So I've replaced running with jumping rope instead. So. It's become jumping rope is my new exercise now. Jumping rope is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's really hard, right? Yeah. The first, it was the first day I did it, my legs are dying. I just wanted to fall over, collapse at the end. But it's, it's gotten easier. How many minutes do you jump rope for? Oh, I usually do it by number of like jumps. So a few thousand jumps, like two to three thousand usually. Wow. It takes around like half an hour, 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're getting bored of that, I could, um, I feel like one thing that sounds like somebody like you would, would like is these different like CrossFit style wad type workouts where you do like a combination of like jump rope and burpees and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> My brother is a good resource. My brother is a great resource for that as well, just because it does sound really awful, like 30 minutes <laughs> straight of jump rope. It's like, come on, mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of boring, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. You get your heart rate running. That's, yeah. that's important. So... Yeah, tell me more about your other hobbies outside chess. Like, which ones are you most attached to? And do you think you're going to continue with those um, after high school? I mean, to some extent, I've already seen how, like, some of my hobbies I used to be really attached to in the past aren't so important in my life now. Let's say, like, piano, for instance. I started even before I started playing chess, like, when I was, like, five or something. But then nowadays, I'm really not practicing much at all. It's kind of gotten replaced by like chess and just schoolwork and other things. And I just didn't end up having that much time for it in the end. But like, I still like playing. It's just, it's not as much of a commitment for me anymore. It's more like casually sometimes I'm like, oh, we have a piano in the house. Maybe I'll play for a few minutes. But it's not so much as like practice, like everyday practice to like do, to like improve yourself. It's more like just for, sometimes I like doing it. And then it's just enjoyable in that sense now. My hobbies have definitely changed throughout high school. And it's, I mean, I expect them to change more in the future too. So I'm kind of looking forward to what I'll discover in college and what my new hobby is going to be after I graduate. What do you think? Like, is there something you've always wanted to explore or get good at that you've never gotten a chance to because you're so busy? Not anything specific, but I've always really wanted to like have the coordination to play soccer or something like that. Because I'm not very coordinated with like my feet and my eyes, like the hand-eye coordination is not there for me. So then being able to like get that under control and then like be able to play soccer well would be not, not even like that well, just like marginally okay. That would be pretty nice for me. Yeah, that's interesting because you're already really, you're obviously good at track. So you have like a leg up there in that you're not going to run out of breath and but you just have to work on your coordination. With uh, with chess, now that you're spending so much time at home, um, how 
have your study habits changed? You mentioned reading more books. Are you also still working with your coaches? I know um, you've had a lot of great ones, including Melik is your current coach, right? Melik Achian? Yes. Um, I mean, I think I've started playing a lot more Blitz, to be honest, now that I'm at home so much. Because before, I never really played much Blitz. But then, like, nowadays, since we don't have our classical tournaments, I've been playing a lot of Blitz tournaments and Rapid tournaments and just tournaments of shorter time controls, really. Um, so I think that's been the biggest change. And, like, aside from that, I think it's honestly been, like, pretty much the same as previous summers. Because usually in summers, like, most of my summers have a lot of chess tournaments in them. So I have to, like, prep for the tournaments beforehand, right? Um, so then, like, I spend a lot of time prepping before the tournament so then I can go play in the tournaments. But now I'm just prepping for the tournaments. But the tournaments aren't here yet, so I'm just still prepping for them. Yeah, and I have noticed your name in a lot of these um, Blitz tournaments online. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I mention your name on the air? Oh, sure, go ahead. Or is there, it's not, yeah, it, I wasn't sure if it's private or not. But it, you do have your official FIDE titles on it. Um, the Happy Farmer. Where'd you come up with that name? Oh, it was because I, I made my chess.com account when I was really young. So like, I remember back then, I was really obsessed with Jolly Ranchers, like the candies. So I wanted to name myself the Jolly Rancher, but then the Jolly Rancher was taken. So I had to find synonyms for them. So then Jolly became happy and Rancher became farmer. So now I'm the happy farmer. Oh, amazing. That's a good story. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> That's like one of those riddles where they ask you to like figure out the reason or something. And it's <laughs> I, gosh, the Jolly Rancher. Now, now whenever I see your name on chess.com, I'm going to um, be hungry for a Jolly Rancher. What was your favorite flavor? Oh, I like the blue raspberry ones. Also the cherry ones. So you still like them? Oh, of course. Yeah. You say you've been playing a lot more Blitz. And I noticed also that your rating is going up in Blitz. Do you have any tips on getting better at Blitz? I don't know if this is so much as as of a tip as just like a general trick. But I discovered that if you make the board smaller on chess.com, you can move the pieces a lot faster. So like if you're playing Blitz and then you don't have a lot of time left, it's really useful for that. So that's my one tip for playing Blitz. But aside from that, it's just like play a lot of Blitz and you'll get better. Yeah, I agree with you on that tip, actually. Because not only do you can you make the moves faster, but sometimes I feel like you mentioned high, hand-eye coordination earlier. Like mm-hmm. looking from like A1 to H8, if it's too big, is kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> you don't see that move, that 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 queen move. Yeah, it's it helps to have the smaller. Obviously, you also you also train online and puzzles and all that type of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So how many hours? You know, it's funny because usually when you ask people how many hours they study chess, it's like a ridiculous question because everybody's schedule is so um, different from week to week. But these days with people at home so much, it's actually a very valid question. I mean, it kind of depends. Some days I just like don't study as much. But usually, I don't know, I say probably at least like four hours-ish between like reading books and just like reviewing like my games or like looking at openings and stuff and then like chess.com stuff probably like four hours ish four hours and then then do you still do lessons with Melik and other trainers oh yeah how often do you do those oh once a week with Melik and you've been doing kind of online chess lessons ever since you were a little kid right not too much when I was a little kid for some reason like I always had in-person chess lessons until I was like 13 or something but then I think we got a coach that lived far away from me so then we had to do online ones. And then since then, I've just been it's been mostly online. So I'm pretty used to it by now. Yeah, because it's so convenient. Yeah, and you get to save time from like resetting positions and stuff. So, mm-hmm. but, but Malik is actually from your area as well, right? Yeah. 
I see. But it just now, well, of course, now doing online lessons makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Even before, though, I think we were just too lazy to drive over there every week, you know? So yeah, <laughs> it's easier to have them online. So yeah. And what would you say about Malik um, as a coach? Like what's like one of been one of the most important things you've learned from him? Because I know he's worked with a lot of great players over the years. I mean, he gives a lot of good, like general chess advice, if that makes sense. Just like, uh, like training you on how to think about certain positions and how to look for the good moves instead of actually like pointing out like, oh, this move's like fantastic. You should play this move. He's really good about showing you like how you arrive at the conclusion that this move is fantastic. Ah, that's great. Like in words rather than in just variations. Yeah. 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 That's like helping you look at the position and analyze it more effectively. And is there any kind of like specific uh, kind of change to your thought process that he helped you come to in chess? I mean, part of uh, part of the stuff he really emphasized me, with me when I was first coming with him was like elimination process and stuff like that. So when you have a complicated position, you don't have to like think about all the moves. You just have to think about which move you have to play right now and then think about the rest later. So that's helpful. Yeah, being very practical in chess. That's such an important skill. Absolutely. Because a lot of people come to chess with this artistic um, sense as much as their, uh, you know, desire to find, the, to, to um, you know, to win. So mm-hmm. being practical is so important. Yeah, it's really useful. So you study like four hours a day and then you have the whole rest of the day to, you know, read and do all this other stuff. What about your social life? You mentioned, you know, liking to see people in person. Mm-hmm. Um, how does your social life line up like chess and non-chess? Like where are most of your friends from? I mean, I think that I might be a kind of an outlier in this, but then a lot of my friends are actually outside the chess community, like from my school or from like my extracurricul- extracurriculars outside of chess. But I know that a bunch of people, like besides me, I have a bunch of friends in the chess circle, but I've, I feel like I'm more detached from the chess circle and that I have friends, a lot of friends outside of it. Who is your best friend in chess? Probably just like the girls I usually play with, like Jennifer, Carissa, Emily, them, because I've known them for a long time. I see them a lot at tournaments and stuff. And then outside chess, your friends, um, what do they think about your chess career? Oh, they think it's, they think it's really interesting. They're just like, wow, you play chess. But then, yeah, like aside from that, they, it's not really a big part of my friendships. It's just kind of, it's like a side note, you know, it's there, but it's not, it's not prominent. It's not like my friendship is based around the fact that I play chess. Right. Understood. Do they ever ask you to like teach them how to play? They do sometimes, not often, sometimes though, like maybe like once a year, or twice a year. It never really happens though. Yeah, I know. I know that. I have that experience a lot too. That's why um, you just always say, yes, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to, because mm-hmm. it's like you know, if every single person who asked you, um, you know, actually cashed in, you might be like pretty busy giving all these free lessons. Yeah. But the reality is only like one person is actually going to follow up with you. Yeah, exactly. And that person, that person deserves to learn chess from, from the uh, international master anyway. Uh I know it might be a bit of a sour note, but has MIT decided yet what they're going to do with um, the fall semester and you know what's what's up with that plan they have they are only allowing seniors and students with special circumstances back so I will be at home throughout fall as well yeah how's it been to like process that news I, I, I imagine it must be very difficult yeah I mean it's obviously upsetting because everyone says that like your first semester on uh, at college is really like an integral part of your overall college experience so not being able to have that in person is like definitely a big disappointment but on the bright side since we don't have to live there 
they're also like the tuition is going to be a lot cheaper for the semester than most semesters. So on the bright side, we can save some money from that. Yeah. We meaning your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I'm sure they're, especially a great institution like MIT, I'm sure they're trying to do a lot to like give you things that are unique, like experiences and connections with people. Yeah. What kind of activities are they planning to like even try to emulate the college experience at an elite institution? I mean, they haven't really given many details about that. They just kind of said, yeah, we're doing everything we can to ensure that your first semester is going to be a fantastic one. Um, But in terms of details, I really don't know too much about that. Uh, So far, though, they've kind of set up a virtual orientation where they send out, they organize into teams, and then they send out essentially like a list of different, different like goals you want to achieve. Not so much goals, but like, it's like solving a Rubik's Cube or like stacking your toilet paper rolls into a pyramid or something like that. And then essentially you do those and then you send them pictures of you doing them and then they give you points for your team so it's like an overall orientation competition it sounds a lot more complex than it is but it's been it's been interesting so far it's been fun yeah yeah and what do you think the challenges are because obviously chess coaches chess players everybody listening to this is you know adjusted to spending a lot more of their lives on zoom and you know you with both college and chess and mm-hmm. everything that you're doing probably are as well. What do you think people need to be conscious of with this, you know, era of online learning? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just to have a grasp on what you're doing and what you want to do. Like, let's say like, cause because it's online, there's so much like less essentially like pressure on you. Like you don't, there's no one making sure that you're going to all your classes. Like your classmates aren't really there to help ensure that you're keeping up with all the material and stuff. So I think it's just going to be a lot more of learning how to like learn by yourself and then making sure that you're up to date on everything and then having the kind of responsibility to ensure that you're not falling behind in anything. That's hard. And for some types of learners, it's just, you know, must be really difficult. I I think Mm -hmm. that like, you know, you um, generously offered to come to a couple of events that I'm doing with U.S. Chess and Women. You're going to be um, leading one of our um, big seminars where we have like <laughs> up to a hundred plus kids, um, you know, there to ask questions and, you know, learn from you. And then also a smaller group that we have of teenagers to kind of talk about the the college application process and also just chess and high school and balancing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really grateful that you're willing to do that because I think it's so important right now for these kids who aren't getting a chance to connect in person to have like an extra special experience oh, like, meeting you. and that's what I'm hoping like you also get from MIT like you get a chance to meet somebody that you wouldn't even get to meet in person mm-hmm. yeah that definitely is a big part of it what are some things that you think are really important to um, teach the, the y- even younger generation than you like the kids who are 12 to 16 right now I mean I think the biggest thing is just ensure that they don't get too bored, you know, because no one pays attention well when you just have someone lecturing at them for eight hours a day, especially when it's not like an in-person lecture. Because at school, if you fall asleep, the teachers can be like, wake up, wake up, you know, but what can they do if it's a Zoom seminar and you're just sleeping in front of the camera? Like not much really. Um, So being able to kind of keep their attention on you for longer periods of time is probably going to be really important for schools coming up like uh, in the fall semester and stuff to just to ensure that everyone is like actually learning when they're listening to the Zooms or like that they're giving their best effort to learn as they listen to the online classes. And how do you think people do that? I mean, based on my experience with the, with the spring semester this year, not so great because 
there are some classes when we had like 10 out of 30 people show up to our online classes. So, I mean, so far it's not going great, but I mean, we can hope that it'll be better in the fall. I think that it's one of these things where your personality has to just be whatever for teachers and educators. I feel like whatever your personality is, if you can just make it like 30% louder for like a Zoom call, (laughs) that's a good thing. Uh-huh, that would probably help. You know, just like more excited, more animated, because everything gets flat in a little bit online, right? So you kind of just need to yeah, amp definitely. that energy. Like with the class that I do also, we do like a lot of polls. So that's mm-hmm. another way to kind of try to enhance engagement. But yeah, it's difficult. Very difficult. But you know, at the end of this, I'm I'm hopeful that people will be able to like take some really good lessons out of this. And, you know, maybe learning will be enhanced long term because there will be like a lot we'll we'll va- we'll see what we can um what we really need and what we lack and what was actually done better online. So, uh any other uh final words of advice to our our young listeners or to parents of young listeners like um what can you tell to um girls who want to, you know, do as well as in chess as you did? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just commitment. If you keep on working hard at it, eventually you will get better. You might not get better quickly, but eventually you will get better. And then if you lose, don't be too upset by the fact that you lost. Take it more as kind of a lesson that showed you what you're not doing so well uh, right now. And then you can, if you correct those, then you're going to improve and then you won't lose next time. Very nice. Very nice. And, you know, by the way, one of your big achievements was winning this World Junior Championship that was open to both genders, mm-hmm. um, though you've also played in a lot of the girl sections um, in your career and won a gold medal in that as well. Do you have any like strong opinion on those events or like the mixed gender versus um, female only competitions or do you just kind of play whatever you feel like playing? Yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion on those. In the, in the case of the Pan Am Championships, it was really because the the, the open section was a lot stronger than the female section. <laughs> so it made more sense personally for me to play in the open section than in the, than in the girls section. Um, but I mean, I think the girls section, like basically they're a great way for girls that might not be as strong to have a chance to play in these like international competitions too. But then having the open section be like an open section also ensures that they can play in the open section if they want to, which is also good for them in like the long term. Did you ever have a tough decision where it was like you were invited to the women's or girls and open and you had to like decide which one to play and it wasn't that obvious? I mean, not really. I think the biggest one might have been with like the 2018 juniors championships because they invited me as a wild card to the open side. And then, but then of course, like I also had the invite to the juniors, the girls juniors side. Um, but then I think it, even in that case, it was a pretty easy decision because personally, I like playing when I'm not like a higher rated pl- uh, player in a tournament. Like I like being one of the underdogs to them. It's like more motivation for me instead of seeing it as like, I have to win this round because I'm higher rated. I'm like, I have to try my best and then see how far that takes me because I'm lower rated. So I think that's just the kind of tournament I like playing. So even that wasn't too bad of a decision. It was pretty obvious for me that I was going to go play on the open side. Nice, nice. That That's great. And I, I think that you have a really um, positive attitude about so many things, which is a great quality because Maurice and Yaz always make fun of me about that. So <laughs> now I can tell them, Annie, Annie is, Annie, get her on. Yeah, I support you. 
Well, thank you so much, International Master Annie Wang, for taking some time with us for Ladies' Night. Oh, thank you. I was happy to be here. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The US Chess Suite of Podcasts, including Ladies' Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films, Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sogfish, I got it all wrong. After slightly advantage, I had nothing but my dear Capablanca. You tell me we learn more from our defeats. Who needs victory?